You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. And uh, once our remodel is done, we'll have new glass doors at the back of the sanctuary, so it'll be easy for us to keep our, all of our little ones in the sanctuary. And as we grow, we want to do that for their safety. Amen and protection. Amen. Let's go to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter number 16. And uh, we've done it, Brother Brandon. We've done it. We come to the last night by the help of the Lord. Amen. In our 1 Corinthians series. Has anybody enjoyed walking through the word of the Lord? Amen. Verse by verse. Segment by segment, section by section, and uh, God has been so good to us. Uh, I, I apologize for, amen, we haven't been able just to go straight through this week after week, but this tonight, I believe, is part 28, week 28 of walking through 1 Corinthians, and uh, what a rich, powerful book. Now, I was going to try to do a little quick recap tonight, but... I don't think that I can successfully put over 40 pages of notes into a quick recap and finish chapter 16. So I took a vote and the vote was finish chapter 16. So we're going to try to do that tonight to walk through chapter 16 here. But I do want to say this. I do just want to give some final remarks on this. And if the Lord will help me and I can, I would like to do a quick video recap summary of the chapter uh, or of rather the series uh, and we have put this in podcast form on YouTube as well and we've made it available we want to make it accessible as a resource for you to go back to listen through to study through and I don't say that because I think that I am um, an exceptional teacher or have even done this justice because I promise you most of the time I, I, when I go home, I think, man, I miss this. And we could have talked more about this. And uh, I could have as easily turned this into a 64-week series, but i resisting the urge there. But that's how rich and powerful the Word of God is for us. And in, in my prayer as pastor, if I could pray anything as pastor, in doing series where we go verse by verse and walk through the scripture. It's not to impress you. It's never to convince you that I know everything because if anything, I probably try to be very transparent and vulnerable when there's places where I can say, hey, this is a difficult passage here. But it is to help us understand how we must handle the word of God and that this isn't something we can just take. We don't just take the word of God and just insert our opinion and get dogmatic about it and then beat people over the head with it. The Bible says the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword. If I was to pull out a two-edged sword, I would very carefully and cautiously use that thing. And so if we're not careful, we take the word of God and we can, we can in our zeal and in our passion, we can offend with the word of God. So we've got to approach the Word of God, and we've got to take the Word of God, and we've got to handle the Word of God. Good study, good hermeneutics, as they would say. How do we look at the, how do we look at the text? How do we 
allow the text to speak to us. And then where, where, as Paul instructs us, where do we take the text and say, okay, maybe, maybe we need to give latitude to somebody that would maybe not understand this. And then other places where Paul would say, no, no, there's no other option. We must stand in unity on this and knowing when to do that. So as we walk verse by verse, because, you know, I'm, I, I may not be with you always. We, we don't know our time together. We don't know what the future holds. We don't know what persecution holds. We don't know what life holds. Our, our life is precious. We can be here tomorrow and gone the next moment. And so what good does it do when we try to convince one another, well, I know the Bible better than you. That doesn't do anything. But when we can teach someone else, hey, here's how you handle the word. And when we can transmit a love, both a love and a reverence for the word of God, then someone else can take that and they can make a lifetime of study with that. Because more important than you walking out of here and say, man, they have good teaching or good preaching at this church. Forget all of that. What we want is people to walk out of here and to fall in love with the word of God. When we leave here, we need to walk out of here saying, you know what, I, got, I need to be in the word tomorrow. I need to be reading the word tomorrow. I need to get, I can't wait to get back into the word, no matter how that looks. Fall in love with the word of God. So that's, that's my prayer. That's my hope. And look at what the word has done for us. I don't know about you, but I don't know how many times I've read 1 Corinthians and yet walking through it this time with you, it has changed me. It has impacted me. It has convicted me. It has challenged me. It has spoken to me. So let's pray one final time as we open this series and ask God, amen, to open up our hearts and our eyes, amen. As we go through this, would you pray with me, Lord, in Jesus' name? Our Father in heaven, I thank you for your precious word. I thank you for the word that instructs and inspires and directs, Lord, and corrects. I pray tonight, God, Lord, we thank you. Thank you for this word pray tonight as we close out this series, God, let the word of God have free course into our hearts, speak into our spirit, speak into our life, speak into our soul. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name and let the church say amen. 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 All right, let's turn, if we will, to 1 Corinthians chapter number 16. And uh, Brother Clayton Killian is going to help us read tonight our scriptures as we go through this. We come now to the final portion of this letter that Paul says he, he, he signs this salutation, if you will, uh, by his own hand, as we'll see later on. He is most likely, as his custom was, been dictating this to a scribe, and then to uh, authenticate it, he will sign it by his own hand, and he's closing this down. So he comes to the very last issue at hand that they have written him about, and so on our outline of this series, we come to point E, and that is question concerning the collection for the saints. And in the first nine verses of this chapter, Paul is going to speak to a specific issue where they needed to take up a specific offering. And now he's not only going to tell them they need to give or that this offering is required or needed, but he's going to give them instructions on how to do this as well as how to administer it. So let's begin chapter 16, reading verse number one. Now concerning the collection for the saints. All right, let's stop right there. If I would make a comment now concerning, he starts out now concerning. 
And I want to just throw this back in, in your remembrance because it's been over a year we've been working through this, that 1 Corinthians is a response to a letter, most likely, that they sent to Paul. And even we believe that maybe there was another letter because Paul referenced that in 1 Corinthians, that Paul had initiated a first letter. So Paul is now responding to things that they are specifically talking to him about. So this is not Paul saying, I'm demanding an offering. Paul has already been in conversation about them, about this, and they're responding. And so now Paul is responding to them. Now concerning, these are the questions that they have brought, the collection for the saints. Okay, read on. Yes. Okay. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay up by him in store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. And when I come, whomsoever ye shall approve by your letters, them will I send to bring your liberality unto Jerusalem. All right. Read on. And if it be meet that I go also, Okay, let's stop there for a minute. So note, note some things. He gives us some instructions. He says, first of all, I'm, I'm instructing you, something to you that also I have instructed to the church at Galatia. Or uh, um, we would read his letter to them, the epistle to the Galatians. And so this is not something that's specific to them, but he's talking about the church at Jerusalem, which by now we know there has uh, been great persecution upon the church uh, assembly at Jerusalem. Those that live there, we know this in the account of the book of Acts. We know that they uh, killed uh, James, who was really sort of the first elder, the, the head of the church, the first leader of the church. And so the king killed him uh, out of popularity. He, he, he continues to persecute the church. This causes great scattering, the gospel spreads, and we read the book of Acts, and we know the rest of the story now that it spread around the whole Roman Empire so much so that it almost took over. And, and he's writing here to the other churches, Gentiles. Now, this is, this is interesting. He's writing to Gentiles to take up offerings and to send back to the church at Jerusalem. And Paul is going to give instruction for these things here. He's going to give very specific things for them. So he says, I'm ordering this to you just as I have ordered this to Galatia. Now, we do this same practice here today. We take up every, uh, every week, every, every month, every year. Uh, we send out monthly missions money. We gather missions money. And we send that literally around the world. That money goes to support uh, church leadership around the world, to enable church leadership. But many times when a missionary comes by, and we host a lot of missionaries here, when they come and they speak, we are not just raising funds to enable them to go the distance and travel, but there's also what's called field accounts, sub-accounts within them, so they are raising money to fund 
the churches over there. So they are not only raising money for their travel, their expense to go there, but they are providing funds for the operations that are deemed necessary over there for the church to grow and be uh, uh, administered in nations around the world. And so this is, this is what is happening here. The Jerusalem church was the head and the Jerusalem church was the beginning. It was out of Jerusalem, one place he called Jerusalem the mother of us all, because it was out of Jerusalem that missionaries were sent. <laughs> they were sent out of Jerusalem to go around and Jerusalem funded the missionaries elsewhere. Now how the tables have turned and persecution has come back. And so now they're literally raising funds and offerings and they're going to send people back to Jerusalem. Now, Paul gives instructions here to them. He gives four things that are, he specifies for them in this. Uh, uh, so he says, if you will, there's four things. He says, I'm, I'm going to instruct you. The first is, and this is, this is interesting on these details. The first is the, the timing that they give. Note this, the time that they give. He said, upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store. Upon the first day of the week. Why on the first day of the week? Well, the first day of the week, as we see testified elsewhere, Acts and other epistles, were, was the designated time that the early church gathered to worship. They would gather to worship specifically on the first day of the week. The significance of the first day of the week was it was at the dawn, right before the dawn of the first day of the week, that Jesus Christ rose from the grave. And so the early church would uh, go through and, and many of those early Jews would keep the Sabbath and then they would come right out of that and they would start by gathering for worship. That was their corporate worship, their corporate assembly of worship. That custom is why in a Judeo-Christian Judeo culture today, we gather on Sunday to worship. That's where that came from. We gather on Sunday to worship, the first day of the week. It was a nod to the resurrection. Paul says, when you gather to worship, I want you to come and bring an offering as you come to worship, look at what he says, every one of you lay by him in store. So Paul not only tells them when to give, he tells them everyone. Well, everyone has a responsibility to give, everyone. Now, he never puts a number on it, and he never puts a metric on it. The only metric that he puts on it here, the only amount that he puts on it, is based on how much God has blessed them with. So to whom much is given, much is required. Amen? So if you don't have anything to give, if you're literally a pauper, if you literally don't have anything, and this would be the case for many that were converts, especially here in Corinth, those that were of servant status, slave status, were a part of the church. They were not bound, amen, to be expected to give something uh, as much as someone else had given. And Paul does not go around and he's not, he's not examining other than he's saying, everybody ought to give something. Everybody ought to get involved with this at some level. Everybody ought to give something. But give according to as God has prospered you. 
as God has prospered you. So if God has blessed you greatly, then don't be stingy with that. Amen. Give as unto the Lord. Don't be stingy with that. And so that's one reason why I love our Christmas giving. When we do the envelopes, we have a $1 envelope. Praise God. By the way, there's also a $1,000 envelope out there also. But we have a $1 envelope. We put that out there. We've done this now for several years. Why? Because there's something powerful about everybody giving. Amen. Maybe you could find a, a dollar walking down the road. You collect enough coins. I mean, people, people, you ever see change on the street and people won't even stop over and pick it up anymore? It's not worth anything, right? It's not even worth me picking up anymore. But you can always give something. Amen. At some point. So this is what Paul says. He says, so give when you come to worship, give something. Look at what he said, the result or, or, or how they are to give. He says, you are to lay it by him in store. When you give this, let's call it a missions offering, okay? When you give this mission offering, this is money to go support and help the church at Jerusalem. When you give this mission offering, he said, you are to lay it up in store. You are to save that money because that money is going to go for its purpose. Now, there's something interesting here that we, we practice very much today, and that is, when this money is given for the purpose of missions, it is designated such, so you save that money for that purpose. Don't say, look at all the money we've got here, and now all of a sudden you've got other priorities of how to spend that money. Paul says, no, when you've designated that money, you save that money, that's what that's given for. That's how the church ought to operate. That's how we operate today fiscally. We operate that way we operate that that very way today. Um, Pastor Ryan and I have been uh, uh, going through and spending some time in re-examining and looking at our church budget and our priorities and everything because one of the most spiritual things about a church is its budget. You say, well, how is a budget spiritual? Well, because a budget will determine its priorities. It determines what's your objectives. What's your main priorities? Is it the kingdom of God or is it about us? Is it about, is it about us? Is it about building our brand? Is it about making our name popular? Or is it, about, is it about the kingdom of God? Is it about readying the kingdom of God? And so, so when you find a church, you need a, a, a money. Money matters. And Jesus talked about money more than any other single issue. So you can go to a church and, and you can feel the presence of God. You can receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. But if their money is not handled right, well, that's the days are numbered. Okay? This is good teaching. Okay? I'm just going to tell you. You can write this down right now. Pastor, talking about money, this is good teaching. Okay? So this is why we, we, we have certain policies here. We're very intentional about that. We're very transparent in how we handle the funds and what we do. We have oversight and accountability. Uh, we have transparency in that. We're involved in all of that. We operate at the highest level that we know how, and we're always seeking to better ourselves because money is a spiritual thing. And if you get that right, and you are good stewards and honest and honorable by that, trust me, God will bless you in other ways. And look at this. We're seeing the benefits of this. We're doing a $100,000 remodel, and we haven't had to get up here one time and say, brethren, sisters, we need, we need to raise money. 
because God has blessed. But this church hasn't been closed-fisted either because it's God has purpose. When there's been a call for missions, we call for missions. We say, hey, there's a church that needs help over here. There's a missionary that needs it. There's a field over here. And as we give, I'm going to tell you, we, you better be careful. Don't, don't you ever hold back because if you hold back, you're going to lose it. Amen. But if you give it to God, you watch God bless and you watch God prosper and you watch God, amen, do his work because it's, and God will give us more, not so we can keep more. I've heard people preach giving, man, if you'll give, God's going to give you people going out. They're pulling out their credit card. I don't even have it, but I'm going to give it because if I give a hundred, God's going to give me a thousand. No, no, no. That's not your motivation for giving. When you give, you give that money as unto the Lord, no strings attached. If God doesn't plan on giving me that back ever, he's going to make what I have left enough to sustain me. You give that unto the Lord. So this is what Paul is saying. Look at what he's saying. He's saying your time, it's important. Uh, when you give, give when you come to worship. The result, you're going to save up, let it be designated, the amount based on how much God has blessed you with. And then the purpose, he said, the purpose is when I get there, I'm not going to need to take an offering. When I get there, we won't need to do a capital campaign. We will have to do this. We will have to sit there and beg people. We will have to put up pictures of people in Jerusalem where their houses are burned to emotionally move on us. Help us. Well, I... I uh, I don't want to get off track here, but this is a good time to talk about this. I should be no more emotionally moved to give. I, I know we're emotional people, but we shouldn't just be getting up there and so showing you sad faces of children around the world, and that's where we open up our pocketbooks. Is that all right? This, this has to be something that's in our heart. This has to be something... That's in our spirit. And, and don't condemn yourself. If, if you've ever put, don't feel bad. I'll tell you this. Do not feel bad if you write $2 on the giving envelope. That's right. Amen. That's right. Because sometimes we think, well, man, if it's not, if it's not 20 bucks, if it's not 50 bucks, if it's not 100 bucks, I don't even want to put it in there. I'm embarrassed. Don't ever be embarrassed. Maybe you're going through a season where two bucks is a sacrifice. Come on. And if the Lord moves on you, don't you even worry about it. You put that down there and you give as unto the Lord as God has purposed. You don't have to be ashamed of that. You don't have to be afraid of that. Amen. You give as unto the Lord. I feel the Holy Ghost here tonight. Amen. Now watch what he said after this. He said, and when I come, Look at what he says here. Whomsoever ye shall approve by your letters, them will I send to bring your liberality or your generosity, if you will, your, your freedom in giving. I will send them unto Jerusalem. So this is what Paul says. He says, I want you to give. I want you to designate that, save that up in store. And then I want you to look among you and I want you to search someone out that is approved, someone with integrity, someone that can handle these finances, that can be commissioned to take these finances and travel from Corinth all the way to Jerusalem. I want you to seek out someone. This is 
if you will. This is good administration because it was to be carried out in a way that ensured integrity in their delivery and in their use. So not only should we give and should we reserve this, but then we need to take care of how we're giving this and where they're sending. Just because they have a TV show. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or, or you saw their website or you saw them on YouTube doesn't necessarily mean that they may be vetted for you to send your money. Amen? All right? Do you know how, how much money sometimes people are raising to dig wells in Africa? And you go into villages, true stories. This is the ugly side of, this is the ugly side of missions sometimes. You go into places, you go into towns that have three and four wells, and they're filling them back in because they don't need them anymore. But because nonprofits in America can get millions of dollars when they show the right pictures and put all that stuff, we're going to go provide water in a place that already has wells. And they go over there and do this. You, you, can, you can read about all that stuff. So you need to make sure you know where your money's going and how that's going. That's why we, we, we submit to a vetting process, knowing what's going on. And we help and we work and we find that out. Those of us that went on the Dominican project trip, uh, back in August and September, we, we got to see firsthand where the funds, we were a part of a, a, a regional conference that's enabled, how's that purchase? And where do they get money for that? How do they do all that stuff? So we, we saw all of that. We were firsthand there seeing what was happening and all that stuff. So knowing where that's going. So Paul is telling them, look, you need to have good administration in the church. Amen. All right. So this is all about giving. Let's read on now. Paul says, oh, wait, wait, before we go on, see, I, I'm, I'm digging deep tonight. Here's another thing that you need to know, okay? In Acts chapter 2, anybody go with, go with me to Acts chapter 2 in your mind? After, well, you can go there too because we can quote it. Acts chapter 2, after the day of Pentecost, the Holy Ghost fell, right? Okay, they're all on the court. They continuing daily. They were in the temple. What did they do? They ate there, right? But before all of that, before they did that, before they went house to house, breaking bread house to house, what does it say they did? Acts chapter 2, probably verse, trying to think of it. They sold, all the believers sold their goods. They sold their goods. And then they parted them and had all things common. Now, they sold everything and they had all things common. And then... As we see now, now we're taking up an offering to send it back to them. And so we think that maybe this is where this practice of selling everything and their eagerness at Pentecost, they were so excited. They sold everything and they distributed it. And now we see an administration, well, we see it even in, in the book of Acts later on, where, where Paul has to step in and says, look, if you're not working and you're able to work, you don't get to eat. <laughs> because the people were taking advantage of the church. And they were just telling all the rich people, well, you need to sell everything and you need to take care of me. And they had to deal with some issues. No, this is for the widows and the fatherless. This is for the destitute that, have, that are left, those that are not taken care of. 
the church would step in and they would take care of them and they would help them. But so now they're taking up an offering and they're helping back. And uh, so that's just something to note here and how they're working all these. Read on, verse five. Yes. Yes. Okay, now Paul, in verse four, let me make a note here. He says, and if it be me, I will go also and they shall go with me. He says, I'm gonna go to Jerusalem too when I come. But Paul is not certain at this point. This is interesting. He's not certain that he's going to go to Jerusalem yet. And if you want to know why, go to Acts chapter 20, because he's compelled to go to Jerusalem. But there's other people in the church that are saying, if you go to Jerusalem, I've been warned in a dream by the Holy Ghost that you're going to, you're going to suffer persecution, and this may, this may lead to your death. Later on, he says, I have to go, and he goes. But at this point, he's still, he's still in the in-between of what's happening. I like this. Because this is showing Paul's real humanity. Have you ever prayed a prayer or you felt direction one way, but you're not sure which way to go? This is Paul being human saying, I don't know yet what I'm going to do. So there you go. You're in good company. Then he says, now I will come to you. Now after a, some people would say 1 Corinthians is a scathing letter. This is Paul saying, look, I value you. I love you. I want to spend time with you. I'm coming with you. Look at what he says. Read on in verse 6. Yes, I will abide. Read on. I will spend the entire winter with you. So this is Paul saying, I mean, at one point Paul said, look, you are so bad, it would have been better if you didn't even come together as the church. But then Paul is reassuring them and saying, look, I'm going to come, and when I come, I'm not just coming by to say, hey, 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 real quick, and I'm moving on. He said, no, I am coming. I'm going to stay with you. I'm going to spend the winter. I'm going to spend time with you. Read on. Yes, read on. This is Paul saying, look, I'm not just coming by real quick. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to come by real quick and stop. I'm going to come back when I can spend time with you. Go on. Yes. If the Lord permit, if you'd underline that, if the Lord permit, in other places, he'll say, if the Lord wills. Have you ever heard that phrase? Old timers used to always say this, and they still do. Amen. People say, hey, I'll see you tomorrow. What do we say, Sister Joyce? Lord willing. Thank you. You qualify it. That's an acknowledgement that I'm not promised tomorrow. I don't know what tomorrow holds. I'm not promised tomorrow. I'm going to see you, Lord willing. But it may be God's will that I may not be here. It may be God's will that he come back by then. It may be God, something else may be God's will. So I do everything under the submission of the will of God. So Paul says, this is the plan. I'm making a plan. So plans aren't bad. Objections aren't bad. This is good. Have a goal. Have a plan. Talk about this. Plan this out. But it's all subject to what the Lord wills. Read on. Terry had Ephesus until Pentecost. I like this because Paul is being, he's being, he's telling him, hey, here's my travel. Here's my itinerary. Here's where I'm going. Here's what I'm doing. Paul, in essence, he's not living a secret of life. He's an open book. Here I am. I'm doing ministry here. I'm doing ministry here. I'm doing ministry here. And he's letting them know. He's keeping himself accountable, if you will. All right, read on. For the great door and effectual. Praise God. All right, now verse 9, there's a great door open to me. There's an opportunity for ministry. 
But look at what he tethers together with that. A great door and effectual is opened unto me, and there are many adversaries. So if you want to make a note here, the note is opportunity equals adversity. You will never have spiritual opportunities where you do not have adversity, amen, that is coming up against you. The more opportunities you have, the more blessings, the more ways that God can use you and enable you, the more adversity you may be encountering. Amen. Don't be discouraged when you have adversity because maybe this is God's way of letting us know, amen, or maybe this is life's way of letting us know, rather, amen. Hey, there's God's given you great opportunities. So sometimes there is adversity, but maybe there's opportunities there. You ever, you ever get up in the morning and feel like somebody hits you with a two-by-four? You're like, wow, I didn't see that coming. Go on. Yeah. You ever get up in the morning and you're waiting for it? Like, okay, what's it going to be today? Ah, there it is. That was it. And then I learned, don't say that too soon because there's another one coming that you didn't see. Where there's great opportunity, there's great adversary. Amen. Now read on. Now, 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 Brother Clayton, we have less than 15 minutes left for the good folks. So I need you to read with authority and anointing and speed to help me along, lest I be distracted. Let's see that he may be with you without fear, for he worketh the work of the Lord, as also I do. All right, now, this is Timothy, his son in the gospel. All right? Now, if Timotheus, Timothy, come, what does he say? Read it. See that he may be with you without fear. This is Paul as a loving father, a loving pastor, father in the gospel, telling them, I love you so much. I'm going to come and spend the whole winter with you. But I know you are so strong-willed, hard-headed, rebellious, and cantankerous that when I send Timothy, don't be a frustration to him. This is Paul politely saying, please don't be. Amen. Will you fill in the blank? Let no man therefore despise him, but conduct him forth in peace that he may come unto me. Yes. All right. So let no man therefore despise him. Now, Paul, this is two things. Paul's not only telling them, hey, I don't, I don't want you to act the way you normally act because I can deal with it. He's not only telling them, I want you to behave. He's also in this telling, letting them know that Timothy may not handle it the same way I handle it. Amen? So this informs us that we have to be careful in the church body that we don't just project a certain type of personality on a minister. But God uses all kinds. He even uses kinds that can be intimidated and frustrated and offended, and hurt. And so Paul tells him, when Timothy comes, he's a good man. He's worked with me. He's going to teach you well. He's going to lead you well. But he's probably not going to be able to tolerate you the way I've tolerated you. Is this all right? 
So don't get upset when you say, well, he's not like this person or she's not like that person. Well, I wish they would be like that person. Well, thank God that he uses people of all different kinds, personalities, strengths, and weaknesses. Amen. Thank God that he uses us all. Amen. That's, that's why we got to love one another in the church. Amen. We got we to see the best in one another. Amen. So not everybody is going to be a carbon copy exactly the same. Amen. Somebody say, praise the Lord. Amen. So he says, he says, conduct him, uh, but conduct him forth in peace that he may come unto me. For I look for him with the brother, meaning he's there with you now, but he's going to come back. All right. This is, this is funny. I love this next part. Read on in verse 12. Okay, stop there. Now, remember, he said in the beginning, he said, now concerning, as touching. So he's letting us know he is, he is responding to a request that they made in their letter to him, which we are privy to see. We, we don't have the luxury of knowing what that is, but we can tell. As touching our brother Apollos, okay, read on. I greatly desired him to come unto you with the brethren. Yes, I, I desired, Paul said, I desired for him to be able to come back to you as well. Now, for those that weren't around, Apollos was a man that did great ministry in Corinth. Paul did ministry in Corinth. There was division among them. Some were saying, I'm a, I'm a disciple of Paul. Some were saying, I'm a disciple of the Apollos. Apollos. Others were saying, I'm direct disciple of Jesus Christ, the, the better, hey, I'm better than you, larger fish, whatever else, you know, kind of thing, personality types. And, and Paul said, look, we're all the same. But Paul now is saying, as touching Apollos, I, I, I love this. R read on, because I'll, I'll come back and explain this. Read on. But his will, his will, that's Apollos, all right? Was not at all to come at this time. Apollos' will was not to come at this time, all right? Read on. But he will come when he shall have convenient He will come when he shall have convenient time. All right. So what, so what Paul, he's closing out his letter, and, and you've got to sort of, this is an ancient text, and we're reading it in a modern context. So we got to sort of filter through to get the tone of what Paul is saying. Paul is saying this as he closes it out. Now, Timothy's there. He's not going to be able to handle you the way I'm going to be able to handle you. So give him some space and grace and make him, make him be able to lead you in peace. And I know you wanted Apollos to come see you, but Apollos can't come right now. And he'll come when it's convenient for him. But I'm coming to you. If you sort of read through that, it, it, it's, it's Paul, the founder of the church at Corinth, the apostle, the preacher, treat, teacher extraordinaire that spent a year and a half with them to get them on, 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 on good ground. He leaves, and then Apollos comes in. And Apollos, Paul's the church planner. Paul's the one that digs it out. Paul's the one that endures. Apollos comes in, and man, he's the preacher's preacher. He's the one they love to hear. And so they're writing letters to Paul, but they're saying, Paul, please send Apollos, send Apollos. It's like somebody that comes up and says, hey, you know, I, I, we, 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 we listen to your podcast or, or we watch your church on YouTube. But man, have you ever watched this other church? Man, he's a really good preacher. Pastor, I, I watch you all the time, but man, if you ever get a chance to watch it, now he's a really good preacher. And you sort of see Paul hang his head. Now, as touching Apollos, I know you wanted him to come, but he couldn't come right now, but he'll come when he can, and you're going to be blessed by him. Paul said this, Paul said this. He said, look, I, I, I know in another place, he said, look, I, I know when I preach, I put some of you to sleep. 
One man fell asleep, fell out of the window. I had to go raise him back from the dead so I could finish my son. I know I can be boring. I know Apollos isn't boring. Amen. I'm okay by that. But he says, I, 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 I wish the best for Apollos too. This story, you see some human tones, if you will, in this here at the end. Amen. Can I tell you, the Bible is a real book. Amen. For real people. Amen. And it speaks right to us. Read on. Watch ye, stand fast in the faith. With you like men, be strong. Okay, that's an old English word for act like men. <laughs> Probably not politically correct today, but it's in the word. Act like men, be strong. So this is Paul, his final admonitions, his final uh, uh, admonishments here. In the ESV, it renders it this way. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith. Act like men, be strong. The New King James Version would say it this way. Watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. The NLT says, be courageous. There was a understanding back then that manhood required masculinity. It required, masculinity required a bravery. It required a courage. To do the task you don't always desire to do, to do the task, amen, that nobody else wants to do, but to do what is needed to be done. Watch, stand fast. That's what he's saying. Act like men. He's not telling the women to act like men. He's telling the men to act like men. Be, be, be but he's telling them, be courageous. Be willing to do. Be brave. Be courageous. Be willing to do. Amen. Have that courage. Do what is necessary, what is needed. Be strong. He's sort of summarizing everything as he goes. Read on. Let all your things be done with charity. And let everything be done with love. Let everything, every single thing you do with love. He baptizes it all with love. Go back to chapter 13. What an incredible thing. That's one that we could have spent four or five weeks on. Incredible. Read on. I beseech you, brethren. Yes. You know the house of Stephanus. Mm-hmm. That it is the first fruits of Achaia. Yes. All right, I love this. He said, look, you know the house of Stephanus. This is a this is a significant house. There's a recognition here of the work that has been done. And he says they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. What a statement and what a phrase. Amen. I'll show you an addiction that is an honorable addiction. And that is the serving, amen, like Christ, to serve, amen, the saints. It was out of this, now I, I'm, not, I'm not endorsing it, I'm not saying that monasticism was the right thing, but out of this type of focus, I do believe it quickly got unbalanced, but out of this focus, we see in church history the, uh, the beginnings of uh, monks and nuns and people that would take a vow and say, I am walking away from my life and I am giving everything to the service of the Lord. Now, it, it, it got out of balance quickly. There's a lot of dark stories in church history we could talk about. But this right here in its purest form, this is, this is inspiring. This is incredible. They have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints, to blessing the church, to serving and living and giving for other people. Look at what Paul says here. Read on in verse 16. 
that ye submit yourselves that ye submit yourselves unto such, yes, read on, and to everyone that helpeth with us, and to everyone that helpeth with us and laboreth. Paul was not just saying, look, you submit yourself. He was not saying, whoever walks in your church, calls himself a Christian, whatever they say, you have to do. No, he's saying, look, he's qualifying people in the church. These are people that are approved, people that have served. These are people that have a reputation. These are people that are in leadership. These are people that have been vetted, anointed, and commissioned, ordained by us as the apostles, as leadership. When they come, don't reject them because they're not me. Don't come and say, well, you're not the apostle Peter, or you're not the apostle James, or you're not the apostle uh, uh, John or Paul or whoever else. No, they are a part of extension of the ministry. Submit yourself unto them. As the church grows, this was necessary. Paul couldn't duplicate himself a million times over. It's not possible that Paul be the one, amen, to handle everything. And so he's commissioning. Listen, when they come, they're coming in the full faith and vetting of the authority and the word of God. Submit yourselves unto such. These are good people that have addicted themselves, amen, to the ministry of the saints. This is for your good, amen. So don't, don't be resistant to that. Don't let that well up inside of you. I know some people, sometimes in the body of Christ, it's an unhealthy culture. And this is extra. It's an unhealthy culture that will only submit or only let the voice of one individual speak into their life. That, that becomes cultish. If a pastor starts saying, look, you can only listen to me. Whoa, 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 whoa. Are you telling me the church of the living God is so unhealthy and you're the only one? You're the only one that can give an answer? Not even our Lord Jesus Christ, God manifesting the flesh himself did that because he even dispatched at one time in his earthly ministry, 70 people to go into other towns and to do the work. Yeah. So when we raise up and say, no, you have to listen to me, you can only, that, that, that's cultish. That's not healthy. That's not right. Never let people, life moves people around. People go on. They have to move. They have to go on. Sometimes cross country, cross places and around things. And for someone to stand up and say, no, you, you can only take your direction from me. That, that's not healthy. Now, I do think a good pastor can say, look, I can speak into your life about pitfalls. Don't just go everywhere else and not be vetted. You can help that. We work, but you see what I'm saying here. There's a balance. Paul's saying, look, you know, this is, this is uh, important. These are people. So when they come, he says, submit yourselves unto such. These are people that have been approved. That's why, that's why, um, I, that's why I individually and personally, and this church is affiliated as well, but that's why I am a part of a ministerial fellowship the United Pentecostal Church International. Does that mean I agree with everything the United Pentecostal Church ever International has ever done or ever said or everybody? Absolutely not. And 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 you're going to find anywhere it's not going to be perfect. There's going to be things that are going to be different. But you know what? I have to be a part of a intentional body of Christ where we are submitted one to another. Sometimes bad things happen and those things sometimes unfortunately they can take time to get all sorted out and to be dealt with and everything. But we can't just go rogue. And this is what Paul's saying. You can't just go rogue on your own. Say, well, since it's not Paul, I'm not listening to anybody else. I'm going to do my own thing. Well, because in the time it's taken Paul to come back, you can destroy your own soul and everybody else around you with it. 
So, so that's why we're a part of the body of Christ. That's why we're a part of the fellowship. That's why we, that's why, yes, I'm, yes, I'm the pastor of this local church, but that's why we have other ministers empowered and, and ordained and anointed in this church. Amen. To help facilitate things. How else do you expect the church to grow? You think we're going to have, you think we're going to, I'm up. You think I can talk to 500 people every single day? It's not possible. You get that. I believe the point. Go on, read on. I got to hasten on. Hurry up. We're getting to the good part now. I am glad of the coming of Stephanus Fortunatus. Yes. For that which was lacking on your part, they Praise God. So Paul is now endorsing someone. He's not condemning the church. He's not condemning the church. He's saying, I needed some funds. And the, when, when you guys weren't able, they did at times. They, they did help his ministry. When you weren't able, these people stepped up financially and they helped. Read on. Yes. Yes. Amen. He's saying, thank you. It's, it's all right to stop and pause and thank people that step up for a great cause and enable the ministry. Amen. We thank God for that. Aren't you thankful for that? Amen. I haven't been able to do everything. If, it, if the church was dependent on me, my goodness, hallelujah. Thank God for other people in our times where we're not able. Amen. That step up and help. And God sends the right people at the right time. Praise God. Go on. Read on. Now he's coming to the end. Final salutations, and I got to hasten on. Yes, the churches of Asia salute you. This is common greetings. Great statement here. Read on. Aquila and Priscilla salute you much in the Lord. All right. Now, this is a powerful thing, and the significance of this is nowhere in Scripture is uh, Aquila mentioned that his wife is not also mentioned. This is how powerful this, this team was. And there's times where it's Aquila uh, and Priscilla, and then there's times where it's Priscilla and Aquila. And so the preeminence, but he is never mentioned without naming his wife. Now put that in contrast that the apostle Peter's name is mentioned 158 times in scripture. We know that he was married because he had a mother-in-law, and yet we never hear his wife mentioned or his wife's name mentioned, but yet when it comes to Aquila, he is never mentioned without the mention of his wife. This is a pretty powerful ministry team. This is a pretty incredible thing to know. And of course, the church that was in their house, which was a normal thing. Read on, verse 20. All the brethren greet you. All the brethren greet you, all right? Greet ye one another with a holy kiss. And here it is. Greet ye one another with a holy kiss. You say, how pas how's pastor going to handle this scripture? Well, turn to your neighbor. Just joking. Just joking. So, a little humor on the last night here, okay? On the last night. So, this is an ancient text, and culturally, the way that they would greet one another, male to male, female to female, was with a, 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 a kiss, a touching of the cheek. It's not, it's not in any way anything that had any sexual overtones, anything of what the world is today. It was, a, it was a familiar greeting that would not have been given to just the stand, standard person in the marketplace or anyone else. This was a greeting that was reserved for someone that was close, someone that was family, someone that was a very familiar friend. You encounter them. And what Paul is saying to them is when you come into the church, when we see one another, 
We do not greet one another based on status or anything else. But when we see one another, we are brothers in Christ. We are redeemed. We both have the same hope and promise of the resurrection. We have a hope. We have a connection, amen, in the spiritual and in the eternal that I don't have with the rest of the world. And even though you are not my blood brother, we may not look the same. We may not be the same. When we come together, we, we greet one another in that culturally acceptable practice. How would that be today? Well, today it would be a handshake. It would be a hug. It would be, how would you greet them in that sense? And Paul is saying, this is how you do it. Can I tell you, this is what we ought to, this is why we do this in church. We do this in church. Have a coming together, have an encounter. We are human beings. Now I know COVID and the pandemic affected everything, right? And we went to air high fives, and fist bumps, and whatever else. But the Bible says, right, to greet one another. There is something about human touch. It's easy for me to say, praise the Lord, I like you, I see you, stay away from me. Right? It's another thing for me to shake your hand, to pull you in, amen, to to touch you on the shoulder, appropriate, right? This is a you know what I'm saying, a culturally accustomed, appropriate way. That is a respect. It's a, look, you're not beneath me. You are someone I value. I respect. Amen. And we're coming together. It's not this, oh, you know, stay away from me or whatever. No, there is a coming together and a breaking down of walls there. Amen. We ought to have no status, no division among us in the church. Amen. Hallelujah. That's why we have Germex all over this church. Right? Because be apostolic, but you use that Germex as much as you want. Hand sanitizer, however you need. Amen. And I know sickness seasons come around and all that stuff. We don't want to pass germs around and all that stuff. I understand how all those things go. But don't go to the other side to where you never talk to somebody and you isolate yourself and you never touch somebody. There's something about that, something about that connection, hey, because maybe maybe there were a few people, but everybody made exceptions during COVID for those dearest to them. It says something. Now, I, I know with that we were walking through that. You get what I'm saying. I'm not saying, I'm not condemning any, anything that, that we did there that we were trying to do the best we could with all that. And I get that, you know, if you're sick, I don't want everybody sick running up and hugging me tonight. I don't know how to say that politely, but save that for later. Amen. We, you know, we, we can do that. But, but this is how your disposition ought to be towards a brother in Christ and a sister in Christ. And this was not, uh, and just a good, this is a good pastoring right here. Uh, husbands kiss your own wife. This is, is that all right? Amen. You say, well, that doesn't need to be said. Well, I've been a few places where it needs to be said. Let's keep it holy. Now what it says, one another with a holy kiss, sanctify this thing. So you just brothers to brothers, sisters to sisters, and amen. Read on. Salutation of me all with my own hand. So here he is. He's saying, look, I am I may have dictated this, but I am signing this with my own hand. I am putting my stamp of approval. These are the words that I've said. Read on. 
Now these last three verses, Paul is giving a closing prayer and he has four points. Read on. We'll see if you can see them here. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema. Maranatha, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. My love be with you all in all right, so this is the final closing prayer, and he gives four points. Now, this is an interesting way to open up a prayer, and we don't have time to exhaust it tonight because I've, I've gone over. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema, which means let him be accursed. If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, that means if there is someone that has rejected God, Stop forcing the issue. Stop pushing it. If they are rejecting God, let them be accursed. If they're going to walk in their sin, then let them walk in their sin. If they're going to fight against the church and speak against the church, let it be. And we don't curse them. We don't curse them. But anathema, literally, let them be accursed. You're cursed the moment you reject the grace and the mercy of God. It's the sin that is upon them. So I don't go around praying curses on anybody. This is not witchcraft, okay? But what he says is if there be anybody that love not the Lord, I can't help them. And that's probably one of the hardest things in ministry is encountering somebody that you have the answer for and saying, I can't help them. Let them be. And then he says anathema, and then the next word is maranatha. And that is an Aramaic phrase or a word, term, that would literally be translated, O Lord, come. It was a call for the return of Christ. And so he, he closes his prayer by saying, Lord, if anyone's not going to follow you, let them be accursed. May the Lord return. And then he says, may the grace of the Lord remain with you. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. At the beginning, he says, I, 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 I want the grace to be for you so that you can hear what I'm saying. But now he's saying, I want the grace to be with you so that when you go, when you're done reading this letter and you go back into your home, I want the grace of God to be with you and to work with you. And then he says, I want my love to be with you in Christ Jesus. I want the love. I want you to know that when you leave here, I may have talked direct, I may have talked straight to you, but I want you to know that I love you with all of my heart. And he closes it out, amen, so be it. Let it be, let's stand together. Amen, dear Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the truth in your word. I thank you for every promise, every correction, every instruction, everything that you give to us. I thank you for 1 Corinthians. I thank you for the way that it speaks to our life. And I pray that you would help us to walk according to your word. Let our lives, our hearts, and our minds be changed. Help us, God, in our deficiencies. Help us to work, to fall in line with your word. And not, not follow my opinions, my ideas.